Thanks, Dan, and good morning, Woodside. It was so, so good to be with literally hundreds of you outside just a couple hours ago. I'm so glad that we have that as an option, that we can celebrate Sunday together, that we can praise our glorious God together outdoors, even if not in here. And so if you're joining us online, good morning. Welcome to Woodside. We're so glad that you're here with us today. As was mentioned, this morning we're going to be walking through the book of Jude. So if you would just get your Bible out, flip right to the back, flip through Revelation to Revelation 1, and then turn back one more page, and you're there. It's a short little letter, but it's one that still has great importance, great impact for our lives still today, because this is the perfect Word of God. And so we're going to walk through the whole book this morning. Don't worry, kids, it's a short little book. Uh, But just before we do, let's join together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We are gathered here corporately as a body to worship you, Lord, to point at your glory. We thank you for Jesus Christ, who is the Word made flesh. And we thank you for your Holy Spirit, which points our hearts towards him. We praise you for your perfect scriptures which reveal yourself to us. Lord, would we be people of the Word made flesh? And so it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you turn open your Bibles, we'll begin in verse 1, where Jude gives us the who of the letter. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to those who are called Beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And so it says right up front, Jude is the author. And the recipients of the letter are the called. So Christians. Now this is what scholars would call a general letter. So although Jude probably wrote this letter to a specific group of Jewish Christian churches, he knew that it was going to circulate to many more, therefore a general letter. So who is Jude? Well, Jude self-discloses himself right at the beginning as a servant of Jesus Christ and as a brother of James. That's a name drop. That'd be a familiar name to the reader. And that's because this is the same James who was a prominent leader in the early church and who wrote the book of James. Now, because that James is called by the apostles the Lord's brother, this Jude is also the younger brother of Jesus Christ. As one scholar writes, the witness of the early church confirms this conclusion, and arguments to the contrary are weak. Now, we're not sure from where Jude wrote this letter, but because of its correlation, with what Peter teaches about false teaching in 2 Peter, many scholars estimate that it was written around the same time to address the same sorts of errors, which is around the mid to late 60s. And then in verses 3 and 4, Jude gives us his purpose statement, sort of the what and the why he is writing. Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation... I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people 
have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and who deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what and why is the brother of Jesus writing to Christians? Well, he tells us he's writing about our common salvation and to contend for the faith. That's the what. And why is he doing that? Well, he's writing because certain people have begun to pervert the grace of God and are denying Christ. So he's writing about salvation, about the saving work of Jesus Christ, because people have been distorting the grace of God. So we got our first four verses. We know what's written by Jude to believers. It's reminding us to contend for the faith because false teachers have begun twisting the truth about Jesus so that they can be immoral and they are denying Christ. So we sort of have our who, what, when, where, why, right? So let's start unpacking this little epistle and may God speak to us by his Holy Spirit through his word. We'll continue in verse 5. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. So this morning we're going to start with the bad news. We'll go bad news, good news, great news. Jude opens up this letter with bad news, with Three examples of notoriously wicked people from the Old Testament. First, the Israelites, who were delivered out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God only to stop believing in him once they were in the wilderness. Now, all but two of these Israelites were destroyed. Then next, he reminds us of the rebellious angels who were thrown from heaven with Lucifer for rejecting God. And then thirdly, two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, who were destroyed because of their sexual immorality and perversion. Jude reminds the reader that the punishment for denying the rule of God is eternal fire. That is a strong way to open up a letter. Like, he's telling these churches, three dark evils and then a reminder of hell but he's about to explain why he is coming on so strong. So we carry on in verse 8. Yet, in the very same way, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they're destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, 
For they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So why does Jude start so strong with three dark evils and a reminder of hell? He says because in the very same way these false teachers around you presently are on the same path to destruction. He says, just like the Israelites in the wilderness, these people are taking God's salvation as a license to sin. He says, just like the fallen angels, these people are rejecting the truth of God for a lie. He says, just like the Sodomites, these people are denying God's holy standard to fulfill their own wicked desires. And so the reason... Jude is coming on so strong is because he's saying there are eternal consequences to false teaching. He's saying there there is a hell. There are people going there. And he's warning the reader that there are people around them trying to distort the truth about God. And that is important Now, I've heard before in church circles things like this. Maybe you've heard similar. Oh, our doctrine as a church isn't really that important. Or maybe you've heard something like this. Our theology as a body can sort of be secondary as long as we're loving well and serving well. That is not what Jude is saying. He is saying that what we believe and teach about Jesus Christ has eternal ramifications. And he's also saying that not everyone who is teaching is teaching the truth. He goes on in verse 12 to describe these false teachers. They are hidden reefs at your love feasts as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. And it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that these ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These false teachers are grumblers, malcontents, Following their own sinful desires, they're loudmouth boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Look at these descriptions that he's giving us of these people who are perverting the grace of God. He uses some great imagery. Clouds without rain, trees without fruit, worthless waves, wandering stars. It's a great picture for us. These seemingly full clouds... Teachers with lots to say, but in the end, it amounts to nothing, no rain. These seemingly healthy trees, teachers with lots to do, but in the end, no fruit. Lots of noise and show, crashing waves, but it's all chaos and no order. Lots of 
hey, come follow me. I point true north. But in reality, they're drifting across the night sky, ever-changing their position. It says that these false teachers are polluting their bodies, that they're rejecting authority, and they're actually leading others into eternal ruin. And so that is the bad news. Jude is pleading with Christians to contend for the faith, to fight for the faith in the face of false teaching. And it is a big deal. Let's not forget, friends, that every single New Testament author addresses false teaching. It's a big deal. And that's because it is linked to faith. And faith is the means by which you and I are saved. We put our faith in someone, in Jesus. We're told in Romans that faith comes through hearing the word. And so if someone has presented us with a distorted picture of Jesus, an untrue version of the truth, we could be fooled out of faith. That's a big deal. Jude's brother James warns that not too many people should become teachers because of the reality that teachers are going to be judged more harshly by God. Because they're the ones who present the picture of God. And God is going to hold them to account for how accurately they do that. Pastor John Piper likes to say that it's the preacher's job to go down the mine shaft of Scripture. And to look around in there for chunks of gold that he can bring back up and show to the congregation and give to the people this gold that is already theirs in Christ. He's not talking about fool's gold. It's real gold. But Jude spends two-thirds of the letter talking about the bad news, the offers from false teachers of fool's gold. It's the negative side, it seems. It's hard to hear. It's a little depressing. But just before we get to the real gold, to the good news, let's remember why Jude is writing. Because this is not a letter of damnation. It's a letter of encouragement. He says, first of all, you see all of this, right? Like, don't be oblivious to it. Stand against it. He says, yeah, there is darkness around you, but it is not going to be able to cover up the light. And then he gives some good news to believers. We find that starting in verse 17. It was read for us earlier. But you must remember, beloved, the prediction of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And it's these who cause divisions. It's worldly people, devoid of the Holy Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the positive side. This is the good news for us. Jude says, look, you knew all along that this was coming. The apostles warned you that there were going to be people that were going to try to snatch the gospel away from you. 
And Jude says that they're devoid of the Holy Spirit. That they actually don't know God. He is not in them. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There are the promises and instructions for those of us who believe. Here is how we can guard ourselves against false belief. Loved ones, build up your holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Stay in the love of the Father and wait for the mercy of the Son by which you will receive eternal life. And pass that mercy, pass that salvation on to others, all the while remaining pure. And this is the encouragement for us Christians. In our relationship with God, we're given four directives here from Jude. You'll see them on your screen. Build up your holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in God's love and wait for Jesus. I love the way that one commentator puts this in regards to the first point, building up your holy faith. He says this, the Christian life must never stand still. If it does, it will go backwards. False teachers are in the business of tearing down, but each Christian must be involved in building up. The foundation of our Christian life is our most holy faith. There is a sense in which our faith in Jesus is the basis for our growth, but even that faith depends on what God has revealed to us in his word. I love this sentence. Subjective faith always depends on objective revelation of truth. I'll read that again. Subjective faith depends on an objective revelation of truth. The commentator goes on, the word of God is certainly central to spiritual growth. I've yet to meet a strong, fruitful Christian who ignores their Bible. We must spend daily devotional time in the Word, seeking the mind of God. We must also study the Word in a disciplined way so that we'll better understand what it teaches. Members of the Chinese church used to have a saying, no Bible, no breakfast. I wonder how many Christians in North America would go hungry if we followed that. And so here we see that our most holy faith, the foundation of our belief, is built up by the Word of God. This is where we get our light. But, Jude reminds us, it goes hand in hand with prayer. The commentator continues, the power for building up the Christian life comes from prayer. The Word of God and prayer go together in spiritual growth. If all we do is read and study the Bible, we'll have a great deal of light, but not much power. However, if we concentrate on prayer and ignore the Bible, we'll become guilty of zeal without knowledge. And so what does it mean to pray in the Holy Spirit? Well, it means to pray according to the Spirit's leading. I'm sure many of you have heard the expression that prayer is not about getting man's will done in heaven, but about getting God's will done on earth. And so now Jude gives us this foundation of God's word coupled with the power of the Spirit of God in prayer. This is like Sunday school, right? It's the read your Bible, pray every day if you want to grow. 
But Jude isn't done there. He then says, keep yourself in the love of God. Now, Jude doesn't say, keep yourself saved. Remember, he assured them earlier, right in verse 1, that they were also being kept by God through Jesus. But what he is saying here is something similar to what Jesus said in John 15, where he tells his disciples to remain in his love, to stay in his love. And how does Jesus say to remain in his love in John 15? By keeping his commandments. It is by obeying the commands of Christ that we stay in that love. And so Jude's encouragement to the church is all about Jesus. Build up your faith in Jesus. Pray in the Holy Spirit to point you to Jesus. Stay in God's love by obeying Jesus. And lastly, wait on the mercy of Jesus. This is the earnest expectation that this same Jesus in whom you are trusting, on whom you are leaning, and whom you are obeying will be back. That through this same Jesus, the opposite of eternal punishment is what's waiting for you, Christian. It's eternal life. That is our hope. And Jude's entire letter, the bad news, the good news, it all revolves around Jesus Christ. It's either a false reality of him or a holy faith in him. And Jude is trying so hard to make things plain for us, the reader. For the reader in his day and age, he uses all these examples. He's saying to us that because Jesus has revealed himself to us, he can be known. He's, he's a person. He's not an idea that can be improved upon. There are things that he is and things that he is not. And false teaching paints a pretend, a fake Jesus for us and can make us not actually know the real Christ. Let me give you an example. Let's say somebody comes up to you and says, do you know Chris Koenig? And you don't know me. Maybe you've heard about me. And you're like, eh, kind of. They're like, yeah, Chris Koenig. He's a six foot seven Jamaican guy with dreads. He does interior decorating and floral arrangements. He lives in Norway. He's only got one lung. That guy does not exist. That's a false Chris. If you didn't know me, though, maybe you heard all those explanations about me, and you'd think you do know me. Unfortunately, the, re the reality is quite a bit different. I'm like a foot shorter than that, and I have both my lungs. But let's say you do know who I am, and somebody begins to describe me to you physically pretty accurately. And you're like, okay, yeah, we know the same Chris. But then they say to you, oh yeah, yeah, Chris, like, he told me that he hates the outdoors. He's got no time for it. Swimming makes him sad. He never much wanted to be a husband or a father. He's so much more a thinker than a doer. He doesn't laugh much. He isn't ever silly. He has a pessimistic view of life and the universe. If you heard any of that and knew me even slightly, you would be shocked. Because you would know with 100% certainty that I am being misrepresented, that they're actually seeing the direct opposite about what is true about who I am. And it is similar 
with Jesus. He's not been vague in his word. He has shown us who he is, what he is like. He's told us. And that is sort of one of the scary implications of false teachers. They are those who ignore known things about Christ to preach a Jesus that never existed. And they lead those who don't know him even further away from him, all the while enticing those who do believe to start to know him less and less. And honestly, sometimes it can feel really overwhelming if you sit and review the lies that are being told about Jesus. Like in this age we have of postmodernity and relative morality and progressive Christianity, it seems like not only is culture lying about Jesus Christ, suppressing the truth about Jesus, but it's also being suppressed by those who are professing his name. But it was encouraging to me as I prepared for today to be reminded that this is nothing new. The same things we're wrestling with in our day and age were already problems in 60 AD. Like, think about Jude in all of this. Like, this guy literally grew up with Jesus Christ. He came to know him as God after the resurrection, but he knew him intimately. He knew what he said. He knew what he had done. He knew who he was. Like, that is his brother. And he's here in these teachings about his brother just so shortly after he had ascended. Jude must have been like, really, you guys? He was just here. You know that isn't true about Jesus. You're misrepresenting my brother. You're misrepresenting my Savior. You're saying the opposite of what he said. Now, Jude might have feared that these lies would persist in the church. We don't know. That more and more believers oblivious believers would be led astray into belief in a fictional Jesus. We don't know if he feared that. And we might also be tempted to fear that, to throw up our hands and say, well, how could anybody know anything about Jesus then? It's been 2,000 years of twisting and manipulating and turning. Hasn't it all just become subjective? Well, thankfully, friends, we have an anchor. Jesus is a little bigger than our ability to express him well. He's bigger than our attempts to malign his name or misattribute things to him. He has endured over the centuries and has made himself known over and over again through the Bible, our anchor. This is why one of our core values here at Woodside is Christ-centered teaching. Because this is how we know Him. God's Word is perfect. It's without error. It's infallible because it was written by God. Friends, if we stop believing that, we will stop knowing Jesus. Because He is revealed to us specifically in here. And if God's word is perfect, and if it perfectly displays Jesus to us, then when we make this say the opposite of what it says, we're standing against God. And that's exactly what false teachers were doing in Jude's time. They were twisting. 
They were corrupting the word of God. That's why we have to be so careful when we handle this thing. We can't be flippant with it or convenient. We have to be diligent and submissive to it. How we interpret the Bible is so important. But it has to begin with trusting that this is the actual word of God. This wasn't just like some decent book well put together by a bunch of dudes. This is the inspired work of the Lord. Without that, friends, we will have no idea what Jesus did, who Jesus was, or what Jesus said. He is known through here. Without this, he starts to become an idea instead of a person. But now, let's get to the great news. As Jude concludes in verse 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, be majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the how. This is possible, guys, through Jesus. The fight for truth can be won. The search for it can end in finding it because truth is expressed as a person who is alive. Jesus is God and he exists and he wants to be known. It's him who's been protecting his word. It's him who's been guiding his church. It's him who has been active in this world. We've not been left on our own here to figure this out. We're here to be transformed, to be made more and more like this Jesus each day. And it's him who is working on that transformation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Woodside, that's really why we talk about these things. I'll be honest, it's uncomfortable to address false teaching. It isn't pleasant to discuss hell or eternal punishment, or wrong belief. It's uncomfortable. But we do this because of the joy of knowing Jesus. It is the best thing, friends. It's literally life. And as a church, we believe that Jesus can be known. That faith in Jesus, not this version of him or that version of him, but faith in the Jesus that is revealed to us in Scripture is the full requirement for being made right with God. Friends, we believe that placing our trust in this Jesus will change our lives both now and forever. That's why we talk about hard things. That's why we talk about uncomfortable truths. Because a person named Jesus Christ came as the full revelation of God. He lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death on the cross, and he rose again from the grave in power. He is the one who is able to keep us from stumbling, from following after any old new idea in this life, and it is he is the one who will present us as blameless before glory in the next life. And so we, we give glory and majesty, and dominion, and authority 
to this Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank him for revealing himself to us. We boast in the name of Jesus. And we share with people what he has done in history and what he has done in our own lives to transform our own dead hearts. And friends, we hope in the promise of being with him again someday soon and for forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful today for Jesus. God, we're thankful for the Word made flesh, for the Son of God coming to earth on a mission to rescue and restore. Lord, we're thankful that this Jesus is revealed perfectly to us in the perfect Word of God. Would we be reminded to open this, to read about you, to drink you in, to know you more. Lord, would you illuminate your scriptures to us by your Holy Spirit. And we ask that in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.